0: This afternoon, I wanted to um, bring to your attention Psalm 2. I like to preach from the Psalms when I come here or from the Gospels, uh, but they're both good in terms of preaching Christ from them. And uh, I'd like to preach to you from Psalm 2 about what it means to be wise. But let's bow together for prayer before I begin. Father, thank you for this time with all the dear people gathered here this afternoon, pray that you will bless them as they listen and me as I preach to them and uh, give us of your Holy Spirit so that we might know the truth here and embrace it uh, in all of the different aspects of meaning that we will hear about here in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, let me read this psalm for you. Psalm 2 It's a very famous psalm, but maybe you haven't heard it in a while. It says, Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands or bonds in pieces, and cast their cords away from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession you shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel now therefore be wise o kings and be instructed you judges of the earth serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So it's a very wonderful and amazing psalm that I just read to you. It's quoted by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. And Peter quoted it in reference to the leaders of the nation of Israel who were trying to get Peter and John, uh, they were trying to keep Peter and John from speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ anymore. And and Peter said, uh, we can't do that. Uh, We must continue speaking what we've seen and heard. And what they had seen and heard was Jesus crucified and him raised from the dead. And so here these rulers were of the Jews trying to suppress, to keep under the truth about the Lord Jesus being the Son of God, being the only Savior of mankind. A person can be very religious and yet not saved or not know the Lord. Um, Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you're raised in a very religious household. And yet you grow up and you never really come to terms with the Lord Jesus yourself. But each of us has to come to terms with the Lord Jesus ourselves. And I want to focus on the words of verses 10 to 12 of the text here. Uh, Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling and kiss the sun. I want to try to explain these words to you in the next few minutes. So in the exhortation in verse 10 is given to kings, the kings of the earth, uh, to be wise. And this refers, no doubt, to the, the kings and rulers of that generation in the time of the early church. But it also refers to all kings in every generation of this world until Christ returns again. Um, we need to understand that uh, leaders of countries even need to come to Christ uh, and have him to be their savior And their Lord, and yet a good many of them don't for whatever reasons. But I'm saying here that there are truths here that you and I need to take notice of. And the first one here is that we would be wise, it says here. Therefore, be wise, O kings, he says. So I want to give you a couple of points here on how we can be wise. And first of all, we'll be wise if we receive the instruction of the gospel. Now, let me ask you, if you know uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think a lot of times people don't uh, know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a wisdom that comes from men, and there is a wisdom that comes from God. And the wisdom that comes from God is found in the scriptures. It's found in the Bible. And so, when you read the Bible, you will find the wisdom that leads to salvation. And what a great thing that is. You say, Well, I didn't know that I needed to be saved. Well, we all need to be saved, and that's part of the gospel. Because in the gospel, we understand that we are all sinners uh, by nature and by practice. You say, Well, I've never thought of myself much that way, but let me explain this to you if I can. That in the beginning of the world, there was a man and a woman called Adam and Eve. Do you remember them in the Bible? And do you remember that in the Bible that um, God gave them one good commandment uh, to keep? And if they kept it, that they would stand in their original righteousness. They would, they would be able to uh, continue in life, this good life, physically, spiritually, emotionally, that they have been given by God. But you remember what happened, that uh, Satan, who uh, was originally a very beautiful uh, and powerful angel, whose job it was at the beginning of the world to guard the garden of God, he fell from his own original righteousness by his pride. He wanted to be like God. He saw himself as so beautiful and powerful and smart that he couldn't understand why there would be somebody greater than him. Well, when he realized that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to eventually come into the world uh, and that he would be greater than him, I think he rebelled at that thought. And he fell and he became a demon. In fact, he took a third of all the angels with him and they all became demons, which is why we have so much evil and sin in the world today Not only from our own hearts Which is what I'm trying to tell you about uh, But also from Satan And his legions of, of uh, fallen angels Which are called demons So when Adam and Eve fell What they did was uh, Satan came into the garden And deceived Eve Into thinking that um, She would be wise If she ate of the fruit of this tree Of the knowledge of good and evil But God had said that they would die If they ate of that fruit And Satan said, well, you won't die because God knows in the day that you eat of it, you'll be wise. You'll be like him. And so Eve looked at the fruit and she thought that it looked good for food. And so she took some and ate and she gave to her husband and he ate. And they didn't talk to each other or to God about it. They just ate and they both died. They died spiritually, first of all. And then 900 some years later, they both died physically. And uh, that's why death, by the way, is in the world today, is because of Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, sinned. And that's why we need to be saved, because there at that time in the garden, it was that they didn't really want to, once they had sinned, they didn't really want to talk to God anymore. They were afraid of God, and they were afraid of his punishment. And it says there in Genesis that the Lord God came walking in the cool of the day, into the garden, saying, Adam, where are you? And they were hiding. You remember the story how they made fig leaves for themselves and tried to cover their nakedness because they were created naked. But when they sinned, they realized they were naked and they realized their own sinfulness. And so they tried to cover it up. But anyway, the Lord God had to go looking for them. And by the way, the Lord God has to come looking for us as well in terms of our being saved. In other words, we need to hear the gospel, like I'm preaching to you this afternoon, and then the Holy Spirit has to come to us and open our mind and our eyes of our heart to be able to see uh, things spiritually from the Bible as being true. Before that, then we, if the Lord doesn't do this good work, we think it kind of a strange thing if someone uh, tries to tell us about the Bible and tries to show us that we need to be saved. But I'm saying if you're wise, you'll receive the instruction of the Bible. And then it goes on to say here that um, you, find, you find that uh, there was all this opposition to the Lord and against his plan of salvation. Those in Jesus' day and the Roman soldiers as well, uh, as those of the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, they didn't want Jesus to be their Messiah. You recall this, don't you? And that They were the ones that put Jesus to death, had Jesus put to death by Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers. And what they were saying in their minds is, let us break their bonds and pieces. In other words, don't bind us up with the idea that we have to have Jesus to be our Messiah and Jesus become our Savior. Let us cast their cords away from us. But God says he sits in the heavens and laughs at such audacity, such uh, foolishness of trying to think that you can overthrow his plans. He says, yet I have set my king. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ on my holy hill of Zion, which is the picture of the uh, Old Testament church first, Zion being the place of worship. But it's a word which describes the New Testament church as well. That Jesus is king and Lord of all, not just of some men or some nations, but of all nations and all men. And this is what I proclaim to you here this afternoon. And the Lord God says here in verse 7, Today I have begotten you, brought him forth into this world through the virgin birth, and uh, also then made him king and lord through and by his resurrection from the dead after he had accomplished redemption, that is the purchase of us, Uh, with his blood, his precious blood and his sufferings at the cross. So we need to understand here that um, God has definite plans. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, this verse today I have begotten you is quoted by the Apostle Paul uh, in the book of Acts in one of the sermons that he preaches. And uh, what it means is that God was bringing him forth in his resurrection from the dead to rise and ascend to the right hand of the Father, and there he would sit all through this church age uh, until he returns again in his second coming. What a glorious thing it is that the Lord Jesus is alive from the dead and that he also can live in your and my hearts uh, here this afternoon and does for those who believe in him. So the psalm goes on to talk about then, uh, he says, I'll give the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And this is the Lord Jesus. And that he shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. It's kind of an unusual way of talking about the Lord Jesus, isn't it? We usually think of him as meek and mild and humble and lowly. And he is that in terms of our being saved. He says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle And humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Well, that's what we find when we come to the Lord Jesus. And these verses are talking about uh, his second coming, surely, uh, when he will judge the world in righteousness. By the way, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who will judge the world someday. That God has fixed the day, and he's appointed the man, the man Christ Jesus, uh, to judge the world in that day. But it's also speaking about those kingdoms and nations that oppose uh, his rule all during this church age that eventually they, eventually they fall. Uh, and he judges them like Rome. You remember Rome was such a great uh, world monarchy for so many hundreds of years. And then uh, finally after a time they became very decadent and uh, wanted luxury, but they didn't want to fight war anymore and all the rest of it. And the Remember the goths came down from the north and invaded them and took over the whole uh, country. And uh, it was a terrible, terrible situation. But all I'm saying is that this could happen to our country as well. We need to pray in our days that it won't. But um, the Lord is Lord of the nations. And uh, we need to see that. We need to be people of prayer and people who are thoughtful about uh, the time that we're living in and uh, the way things are going in our country and pray for those in, in office and in power that the Lord might save them if they're not saved and that He might help them if they are to bring forth uh, good decisions and policies and and uh, legislation and make righteous judgments. But it says here um, in verse 10, it says, Therefore be wise... O kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. And we've talked about instruction now. First of all, the instruction of the gospel that we must believe in Jesus Christ uh, in order to be saved. Uh, If we don't believe in Jesus Christ, we're trusting in ourself um, and our good works. Or maybe we're trusting in our baptism uh, or our church affiliation or any number of different religious things that we do. But all I'm saying is that the gospel says, no, you and I, we must believe in Jesus for the salvation that uh, he alone can give. And the way that Jesus did that, I've been trying to tell you, is twofold. Is that he fulfilled all righteousness and that he never sinned. And then he went to the cross as a sinless sacrifice to, to, to be hung there in our place on the cross and die for our sins as a substitute in our place so that the person then believing in Jesus will most certainly be saved because they're looking to Him for salvation. Do you see that? They're not looking to themselves. They're looking to Him. And God is pleased with that. God is very pleased with that. And we need to uh, take that to heart. And if we've never thought about it in personal terms to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be saved. So second, I want you to see here that if you're wise, you'll serve the Lord with fear and with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear, it says, and rejoice with trembling. Well, to serve the Lord in the context here is to worship him. I hope that you can see that there's many ways that we serve the Lord in terms of our obedience to him. But in the context here, it means to worship him. And to serve Him with godly fear is not so much that we're physically afraid of Him, but that we will have Him and what He says to us in high regard, the highest regard. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to have regard for what He says in order to do it. That's what He's asking for. Uh, It's to receive all of God's words in the Bible. So you receive His words, and then as a Christian... You go about to do them and to keep his commandments. Why? Because you love him. Because you love God and you love Christ and you love what Christ has done for you in redeeming you from your sins and giving you the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. Now it says, you'll recall this, um, that no one can come to the Father except through Christ. It says in John 14, 6, Jesus said that. So you can only truly fear God by having faith in Christ. A very simple statement, but we really need to take it to heart once again. To have a consideration for God in the right way, we have to have Christ as our Savior. Well, what happens then? That the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he helps you to understand the truth of the Bible so that you can live the Christian life. It's as simple as that. That's what, what God does. He gives you His Holy Spirit because of Jesus. And then you truly fear God. You're not uh, afraid of Him in the physical sense, although we are afraid of His judgments, and we well should be afraid of them. It says in Psalm 119, 120, My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. But I'm trying to show you that, that godly fear is is much more than that. It's, it's really based upon your love for God and your love for His Word, that you'll have consideration for, that you'll want to reverence God. You know what I mean by this. You want to do what is pleasing to Him. You want to treat Him with respect. Uh, you want to see Him as the only true and living God. You want to walk in His ways. Now, why can't you simply uh, please God on your own, apart from Christ and His redemptive? Work. Why is it that you can't do this? It's because all of your self-efforts at doing God's will, apart from the grace of Christ, are going to fall short. It's not as though you're not trying. But what God is looking for is perfection. Because He is perfect. And He only finds it. God only finds perfection in one person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that you'll see Jesus as unique The Lord Jesus is unique among men. He is the God-man. He is two natures in one blessed person. He is fully God and fully man in one person. And that's why he was able to save us from our sins. Because no mere man could purchase redemption or pay the price that it would take to save our soul. But Jesus was of such great value to the Father that everything that Jesus did, which was perfect, is then given over to us in salvation in the imputation of righteousness that is charging it to our legal account and standing so that God sees you as perfect like Jesus because of Jesus and then all your sins are forgiven you because Christ died for you at the cross. That's what salvation is all about. That's what it means to be justified, to be declared righteous in the sight of God. So Jesus became a man to work this out on our behalf. And that's why it says here that we rejoice with trembling. I don't know if you if this has happened to you literally. Uh, but we rejoice in the glory of God. We rejoice that he's given us such a great salvation that he's actually going to bring us to heaven and eternal life and that even now he's at work in our hearts to change us and to make us over. Uh, to be more like Jesus. We rejoice in that, and we rejoice with trembling, it says here in these verses. In Philippians chapter 2, 13 and 14, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. That's what the life of a Christian is. It's God at work in you, doing this great work. Uh, Not only of saving you from your sins, but changing you and transforming you to be like the Lord Jesus over time. One degree of glory to another. So that I can say I've known the Lord for more than 45 years now. And I can say I'm not the same person that I was 40 years ago. Why? Because God has been changing me and transforming me uh, over time in many different ways that it would take me too long to describe to you. But he has been doing that. And I'm saying he'll teach you how to walk in the truth from right motives, that is, of loving God and loving other people. And uh, even when you sin, as we occasionally will, even as Christians, that he will forgive your sin as long as he knows that it's your will to do his will and walk in his way. From the right motives. Oh, how many times I've prayed that way. Oh, Lord, let me be consistent Uh, as a godly person. Let me not be inconsistent, go back and forth between sin and righteousness, or sin and righteousness, yes. So the right motive is to do things out of love to God and love for other people. And when you do that, then you're fulfilling the law of God, if it's in accordance with the Word of God. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let me ask you, are you doing that? Uh, Even this afternoon, are you rejoicing in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice, the Apostle Paul says. And you can always rejoice if you have Jesus with you. That even if everything is not going well for you on a given day, that you still have Jesus with you. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, it says in the book of Proverbs. So um, I'm saying here there's a good kind of trembling. And uh, when you see the greatness and glory of God and all he's doing for you by his grace, then you understand this. And then finally, let me just say that you should kiss the son lest he be angry. It says here, that's a, a usual thing again in reference, reference to Christ says, kiss the son, lest he be angry, verse 12, and you perish in the way. Now, I remember he's speaking to kings, and when he says uh, kiss, kiss the son, what's he talking about? Well, we all know what a, what a kiss is. It's when we express ourselves by affection, by using our lips to touch someone else's lips or their face or their hand or something like that. And you'll recall that Judas betrayed Christ with a kiss, which was a feigned affection. It was a false affection that he had for Christ. He was really betraying him. He was delivering Jesus over to the temple guard to be arrested and tried and put to death. But all righteous kissing is done between those who truly love one another or who want to love one another. And this is what happens when uh, people like the kings of the earth, if they want to be saved, that's what they're instructed to do here, is to kiss the sun. In other words, that they must have spiritual contact, wanting, desiring, like a person wanting to kiss someone with their lips, wanting and desiring to kiss Christ for all that he has done in dying for sinners like them. That's what's being said here. Kiss... Kiss the son. In other words, receive what he has by showing that you love what he has done for you in terms of his perfect obedience and his loving sacrifice on your behalf. You draw near to him spiritually in prayer and you ask him to save you from your sins and then you become like the bride in Song of Solomon. You ever heard of that book in the Bible? Song of Solomon the book written by Solomon about the love between Christ and his church where it says let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine and that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ again and it shows us that that's what we need to do on a regular basis as Christians we need to show our affection for Christ our highest regard and respect and say your love your love for me is better than wine Better than any other earthly delight is the love of Christ for our souls. If you love him, you want him to be your personal savior. Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. And you don't want to be alienated from God by wicked works, but you want to show him your love by giving him your supreme allegiance, your loyalty And so you'll draw near to him, and he will receive you. You're going to show Christ your honor, your respect, your reverence by kissing him, spiritually speaking. Now, when we see him face to face, I think we would all want to kiss him. Uh, You remember the the women when Christ was raised from the dead that they rushed up and they they kissed his feet and worshipped him and said, well, we will all worship him someday. If we believe in him and it says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. But that's what we must all do. And I take it that you will want to do this after you've heard me speaking about these things. I urge you to kiss the son by faith, even this afternoon, give him your greatest love as a Christian, even. Give him your greatest love, your affection of your heart. And if you do this, you will be forever blessed. Well, why don't we pray together. Father, thank you for this time and these truths. And we pray that each one will receive them and that your blessing will be upon us. Work in our hearts so that we will, each of us, want to kiss you, the Son, and have you be our Savior, Lord, friend, and coming King. We know that you will come again and take us to yourself. We pray that our thoughts would go out to you today and that you will bless us, everyone, in Jesus' name. Amen.